All right, we've talked much about going out. Uh, since I got back from my trip to the UK, which you, you knew I was going to be causing problems when I got back, and I have, uh, I've been hostile, agile, and mobile about, you know, let's, let's get this thing done about going out into the community. But since we began, our, our modality has been, and our method has been, filling hearts, fueling mission. That's what we're about. We, that's the way we do things. Is it a mission statement? No. Is it a vision? No. It's just the way we do things here. Our plan is to fill hearts and fuel mission. And it's what I call a symbiotic dynamic. And, and the, one should feed the other. That's what symbiosis is. As my, as my heart is full, it should be sending me out. As I'm going out, it should drive me back to live more by faith from the presence and fueling of God. Because we can get over full. We can get full to the brim and just bloated and get bored in the end and go, why would I bother doing church anymore? Or we can get sort of underfueled as we go out and become wounded and weary. And so the principle is that we must do both, fill hearts and fuel mission. But all, all week, I say the word vexed maybe a bit too often these days, but I, be, I get vexed about a lot of things. It's just my personality type. If you ever do a thing called the Enneagram, it's, it's not from the devil. It's, it's actually a really useful personality tool. It, I come up as a reformer. Right? I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a dictator, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just a reformer. And what that means is they tend to dwell on the most important problem in town and, and give the whole life to fixing it. The thing that comes up behind that in me is this, this idea of a, of, a, of a leader that gathers people together for a cause. So that's a pretty dangerous combination. So I find the biggest problem in, in the world right now and I'll gather a bunch of people to get together and address it. And that's pretty much all I can do, Really. That's why I need a team around me. But all week I've been pondering, what's the most important issue right now for us as a people? We've set our course now. The church has agreed. We've adopted an aligned mindset. We believe it's the mind of Christ. That we're going out and we're fueling hearts as well. Therefore, based on all of that, what's the most important thing? What's the wildly important thing right now in your life and my life? The whole idea about a second service, it's, it's not a big deal. It's just a means to an end. It's just a thing that we do. But why? Let me start with a very simple story of transformation. And, I, and I, I'm just in the unique position where I, I'll get hundreds of these stories every year will, will come to me because of the materials that we've written and the courses that we run here twice a year. And, and people from here can't go to those and people from other churches. And for a lot of people, it's a life-changing moment. And we got one of these emails this week, and the, the woman, bless her soul, she, she actually got the, she did a testimony of this in her church and, and had it videoed, and, and um, I got a chance, and it was just, it was nothing spectacular compared to other, it was just a story. But something with it just stayed with me, and I like to have a couple of stories from each season that we run our courses, because they are uh, life-changing. And this woman had just completed the course, and her story was, was a bit like this. For the last, she's a, a sort of a, a mother of, of two kids going through single parenthood with teenagers. And for nearly two decades, that's been her story. Common, common story. Except with her story, it, it, the added anxiety of, of having real, real anxiety attacks through that, chest-clamping anxiety. And many of us here will know what I'm talking about when I mention those words. Throughout that, almost the whole time of being a parent, she'd experienced that, as well as uh, financial uncertainty. Uh, she wasn't poor by any means, but, but just the uncertainty of life because there's just so many issues that um, parents in that situation go through. 
And this had gone on now for a couple of decades in her life. And it, this was just life, isn't it? It was just the life as it is for so many. And in her own words, just surviving hour by hour, day by day, seeing no feasible end or solution. It was just what life was going to look like. And I just was reminded as I was watching it, and I was just enjoying the moment in my own quiet time as I was watching that, how many of us find ourselves there. It may not be that same situation, but it's just, this is life. It's, it's just not the fairy tale. Um, I seem to be surrounded by people in church or at work that seem to live the fairy tale, or at least they're not telling me about their problem. But my story is not like that, and it's complicated and it's hard, and I have this chest-clamping anxiety, and, or I have the financial uncertainty, or I have these, these kids that are far from God, whatever your situation may be. And we just find ourselves there, as she did. And if you don't, at some point, when you're on that journey of life, look back, or look forward, and you wonder whether it's worth it. What, what is worth it anymore? It's, you've been through this. You've been through these moments. You look back, and you look forward, you look at what you're going through, and you go, well, this is life. Is it really, really worth it? And some even wonder whether it's possible to go on. So all you can do is just live from day to day, and you become independent. You do an hour at a time, a day at a time, and so on. Others of us, even without that, are just flatlined spiritually. We're just doing life. We're just doing it. It's just life. And we call ourselves a Christian. But for the longest time, can't remember hoping it would be better than this or, or deeper than this or more impacting than this. And so she realized that if she wanted to change, something happened as she started doing the material. And you can't really dodge a bullet with the way I've written it. It's just like, if you're going to do it, it's all on the table or it's nothing. And she realized... That if she wanted to have change in her life, just as I have to have the same question, so do you, she needed to surrender control of her life. So that was, all that, that was the only decision she could make. She couldn't change anything other than to say, I will surrender control of my life to this God, this Lord, who is Lord of all or is Lord of nothing, because that's the binary reality that we must face. He's either God and nothing else comes close or he's nothing. So she allowed herself then to be immersed in the process that we need to do that follows on from that, because that's just step one, recognising the reality. So she was doing the reading, she was praying every day, she was journaling, she was with a good group of people who were encouraging her, and just embraced the presence of God in her life as it trickled in to this hardened heart. But then one day, I think it was during the retreat, I think on the Saturday, God filled this empty cup of her life with joy, and she was just sitting here, somewhere here in this room, and God snuck up on her and surprised her and she didn't, wasn't asking for it, wasn't expecting it, didn't even believe for it because she had never known anything else. But God just took the anxiety off her. So that's mine. You can't handle that stuff. And she was just healed of it. I don't know how that works because there's chemical balance that's got to be worked through there. There's mind, soul, and, and mind, will, and emotions that have got to be worked through. There's a spiritual healing that's got to happen. Sometimes God just goes, I'm fixing it. And he fixed it on the spot. And she felt it go. And now we're about a month further on, and there hasn't been a sign of that since. But it wasn't just that, because all she did was empty her life. She got home to the same situation, the same stresses, and she was one of these... Eight hours of sleep a night, people, just to handle life. You know, she had to have all that. Don't do without it. But she found herself living on one and two hours of sleep a night now because she can't stop laughing. 
Wherever there should be anxiety and her chest coming together again, now it's free, now it's open, full of faith, and she just laughs, and her kids think she's gone a bit batty. Why are you laughing? God's healed me. That's great. What about, what's the laughter all about? I'm just full of joy, and she doesn't know quite what to do with it, because it's not normal for us, is it? Just to be happy. Why on earth is it not normal for Christians to be happy? Why do we feel like we're compelled to be the sad sacks, miserable people, because we've got to be doing the right thing? Oh... It's normal to be happy. Get a life. He's offered us life. We can take it. She experienced the refreshing that Peter talked about when he spoke in, I think it's Acts chapter 3. The Spirit's come so that we would repent and and experience times of refreshing in the Holy Spirit. That's what she had. And it's a story of a life transformed by God, a process of God emptying someone and filling someone back up again. It just... Made my week. And it's not prescriptive. And that, that's the danger of telling any of these stories. And I, I don't tell them very often, even though there are many that happen. It's the danger of a single story is we, we try to make a formula out of it. Oh, it's got to look like that. It doesn't look like that for everybody. It looks different for everybody. But there are common elements to the broad range of transformational events that we can all experience in God. But they'll often include things like surrender, fervent prayer, Scripture reading, faith, repentance, all those things that we talk about a lot in day-to-day church life. But we all need these moments like that now and again along this movement of our life. Because as we look back and as we look forward on this movement, at some point there's got to be a moment where God invades our life. Because they're the touch points where we go back and we go, it doesn't matter what's happening, I remember that, he did that, no one can argue about that. And so... These moments are the ones that give us hope because you don't need to go through life like that without hope. You don't need to go through life full of fear, slogging away relentlessly. You might be working, but you can be fruitful. And so this series is called A Growing Desire for God. And I want to give you six elements over the next six weeks, and there's a good chance, looking at the time, I won't get to element one, so we'll start. (laughs) It's okay. It's really important that we get what is wildly important. So I've I've allowed us six weeks to get through. That's plenty of time. But I'm I'm hoping um, you allow yourself to be taken somewhere with this. This is what's wildly important. Beyond all things, a hunger and desire for God. And this doesn't replace the normal foundation of Bible and prayer. That's the normal stuff that we do on the movement. But at some point... We all need an upgrade in our experience of God. It's okay to even frame it that way. So I'm going to use the acronym, yes I am, of DESIRE, six letters, D-E-S-I-R-E, and Jacques Vives is going to drive himself insane trying to figure out what they are because I'm going to give no hints other than those icons. So if you can figure it out, you get a free book that I haven't written yet (laughs) about desire. But but the way I started was, in the shadow of just hearing that story, I was just really prompted, Lord, what are the things that bring these moments about in the normal life of us day to day? Without an acronym in mind, what are the things that really matter? So I, so I found the things, because I've seen them so often now, and uh, I was hoping I could build an acronym that looked a bit like that, and it does. So it was just fantastic. God is so good. Um, desire is a word that I would love us you know how I gave you the bless? It's now on a poster out there. B 
best moment of my day so far was watching uh, one of our folk, Bradley, out there looking at that poster and feeding off the acronym, B-L-E-S-S, I can do this. So there's going to be another one with D-E-S-I-R-E soon. I want you to be able to feed off it. We're filling hearts, fueling mission. Fueling mission was blessed. Filling hearts, desire. So we're going to have a great time unpacking this. There's a theologian called John Piper. Anyone heard of John Piper? Six of us know John Piper. That's because he's a lot more boring than me. John Piper is very, he's much more intelligent than me. He's much more theologically adept than me. But he's far more boring than me. Great guy. Brown cardigan. Same shoes. He's only got one pair of feet, one pair of shoes, that kind of guy. You know, so he's just like, let's just keep it real simple. But John is an incredible theologian, highly respected globally. Everyone's normally got his books. But his website, he's chosen that dry old John that the whole world references to for their theology if they're looking for a certain issue. Dry old John. Guess what he calls his website? Desiringgod.org. The summary of all he's trying to get across, the full breadth of digging deep on the broad meta-narrative of Scripture is he comes down to this point. Desiring God is first. Desiring God matters. He sums it up on his website. He calls it Christian hedonism. Hedonism, if you remember that, from, has normally got negative connotations of people just indulging themselves with anything. But he had, he's defined Christian hedonism. He said it's a conviction that God's ultimate goal in the world, his glory... And let's just parenthetically, his glory means the revelation of his goodness and, and who he is. The revelation of God's true nature, his glory. That's, that's what he wants. That's his ultimate goal, that we would know the, the broad, encompassing greatness of who God is. And our deepest desire, our desire to be happy, are one and the same. Because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Not only is God the supreme source of satisfaction for the human soul, but God himself is glorified by our being satisfied in him. Therefore, our pursuit of joy in him is essential. Take that to the bank. So I wonder, do you, maybe you do this, maybe you don't. Maybe it's just a Patland thing. I often, I find myself in Patland quite often. Patland's a place that I go to normally when we're doing a shopping experience. Um, I call Mount Omni Patland. Because uh, Trish goes shopping and I'll find a couch somewhere and go, I'm just going to go look for clothes. And I never buy clothes. I, I'm just going to find a seat somewhere. You'll see me there. Don't interrupt me if, if you see me there. I'll be in Patland. <laughs> but what I'm doing is I'm, I'm looking at people. and Because not far back in this little brain, if, if I stop my conscious thought, if I stop trying to fix problems, my first back thought will be, what's the highest purpose for me to attain? Sorry about that. I'm a, I am an odd guy, but that's, what, that's how reformers think. What's the highest purpose to be attaining right now? That's why as a pastor, what's, what's my highest purpose for you right now? And so if I'm left to myself sitting amongst people, I'll just go back there and I'll be looking at the people around me. And, I'll, and even in the last week, as I sat in Mount Omni in the theatres and done this and that, you see people walk past, and, and some of them are obviously in the winner's circle of life. You know, you can just tell in their face, they're alert, uh, they're respected, they've got substance about them, they're going somewhere, they're on the move, you know, those sort of people. And I think, what's the highest purpose for that person? Is that what it looks like? Is this, in the, you know, if we all strip it all away, is this what human purpose looks like? 
And then in the same breath, uh, I mean, even this week, I saw uh, someone who we would obviously define as, as mentally or physically impaired in some way, being, being wheeled by a beautiful young man as a carer. And I looked at, I looked at that, the man in the wheelchair and the, and the carer, and I just saw life. And I thought, what's the highest purpose fulfilled in those two lives? I see other people walk past and you can see they're, they're trying to convince the world that they're someone, they're, they're working through their identity, they're their clothes and they're whatever they're doing, trying too hard, we all know what that looks like. I see mums and dads come in with their kids, some of them over-parenting, some of them just frustrated, all doing all they can to bring their kids up well. I see some that life's treated very well, some who life's treated very poorly, some who with a simple faith are just getting by life. And I wondered to myself, what does it look like if humanity gets it right? Beyond culture, beyond all that we know, what's it look like in Africa, in China? What does it look like 100 years ago, 500 years ago? What's, what's the purpose of humanity when we get it right? Because we're all going to pass away one day and we're going to be confronted face-to-face with eternity and we'll know instantly what matters most. What matters the most? For me, it comes down to the privilege that we have as, a, as the human species, the honour that we have to be created in his image and to dwell with God through his spirit. I get to live from God. No other created being on this planet gets to do that but the human species. We get to dwell with this God who lives in us and live from that grace. Wow. It doesn't matter whether I'm mentally impaired, whether I'm disabled, whether I'm old with dementia or I'm young and I'm just getting started. We can all live out that purpose of our design. We're not defined by success or colour or culture or job description or income. To win as a Christian is to, is to rely on God in faith and draw from his grace and live from that. And that purpose, that grace, is available to all humanity, but it's not automatic. Not everyone takes it on. Not all of us find that. And we saw in recent weeks that God hides truth from us, but not uh, hides truth for us, but not from us, because he, he knows that nothing is ours unless we discover it. So he, he calls us to be seekers. But I want to add another one that's like that. You only pursue in life what you value highly. Isn't that true? If we don't value something, we're not going to chase it. There's a great book out which I haven't read, called Cat and Dog Theology. I don't need to read it. That title tells me exactly what that book's about. Anyone read Cat and Dog Theology? No one. Great title. Some of us live by cat theology. I have read this summary. You know what a cat's like? Some, here, some people here love cats. <laughs> I'm working on that. I've had good experiences with cats. Uh, once or twice. But you know what a cat's like? You come home to a cat and it's sitting there probably on your kitchen bench that you've disinfected. And it's just sitting there going, where the heck have you been? And do you realise I've got better things to do with my life than wait for you to give me dinner? It's a cat, it's like entitlement. It's like, but there's there's more to cats than that. I can't get over that one element where they just sit there and go, bring it to me, you know. But anyway, some people love that. Have you, have you ever seen a cat with a lizard under its paw? 
and that just sits there. Not interested in the lizard whatsoever. Why is it not interested? It's caught it. But if that, if that lizard gets away, or another lizard walks past, it's like, pew, and it's off to get the other lizard. We do that with our job, our income. Once we've got it, it's boring because I've got it now. I'm not working for it. I'm not pursuing it. It's lost its value because I get something. If I've got cat lifestyle, I've just got it. Some of us do it with our jobs. Some of us do it with our houses or our money. Some of us do it with our spouse. I've got them now. Great, I value them, but I'm not pursuing them anymore because I've got them. And then you see 10, 20 years down the track, it doesn't matter who you have, it's about what you don't have. That's what your eye's looking at. Cat theology. We do it with God. Salvation's good, I'm forgiven. Nothing left to pursue here. What else is going on? I, ch I chase the next shiny thing in my life. It's cat theology. I'm more of a dog guy, I've got to say. Dog theology, everyone loves dogs. Good dogs. Not those yappy, barky dogs that annoy me. Don't you hate that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I like big dogs. I should show you a photo. I've got a photo of this big dog on Facebook. It, look me up on Facebook. It's the latest photo. It's, 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 this thing's the size of a small horse. It's fantastic. But dog theology said, doesn't complain about food. Dogs don't complain about food. Ever heard a dog complain about food? They just want time with you. They'll do without anything. They just want you, baby. They're like, you're home. You're home. I just want to be with you. And they rub up and they'll play. Throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. They don't care how long you throw the ball as long as you're with them. Food doesn't matter. The greatest joy is to spend time with the master. Happy with what they have. Always pursue more time with the master. That's dog theology. So I wonder who you are, dog person or a cat person in that sense. Well, whether, it doesn't matter. Either way. The story that I just told you earlier should incite all of us to desire God. They remind us that there is something to pursue. If you're a cat theology person, if, and I've got to admit, as much as I speak, there's a bit of cat person in me. Like if I'm, if I'm in a, in a go-kart race, which I'm hoping to be with with Troy soon enough in the, in the men's night, I'll be bored stiff out front until someone gets ahead of me, then I'll take you down. It's like... My heart rate goes up 20 beats. I'm going to chase you. I'm going to send you into the wall. I'll go after you and your family, and then I'll go to work on you, but I will win. I don't want to compete. I just want to dominate. It's just something wrong with me like that. But there's a bit of dog person in me as well. I just want to be with the master. Either way, whatever we're grappling with in our personality type, we should have desire for God. There's always something more to desire because a half-life without pursuit, without desire is no life to be living. It's fruitless, it's powerless, there's no breakthrough and so on. Pursuing the greater prize will render lesser prizes worthless. The pearl of great price, Jesus talked about. It's like once we realise how important this is, what can be if I pursue, everything else looks worthless. The trouble with everything in the world is that it attracts us and we think it's actually worth it because we don't understand how worthwhile it is to pursue God and what it means to have him growing more powerfully in our life. So we pursue everything else. We think that when we get these things, you know, when the cat gets the lizard, when I get the other guy in the go-kart, I'm going to somehow be fulfilled. I may not think about that, but that's something's driving that, isn't it? But obviously we never are. And so the Apostle Paul went through this, just like I do rigorously every, every few months. 
He went through this whole exercise. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Are we doing the stuff that matters most? And he would have weighed all this up because he was a bit like that as well. If you follow his story, he wouldn't have been that easy to be around. He's always chasing the next big thing, you know. And he would have looked at, once he was knocked off his high horse and, and, and had all this stuff deconstructed in his life and he's trying to put, put belief in God back together again with the whole Jesus thing factored in there. He would have weighed all these sorts of things up because he had a lot to lose and he would be saying, is, this, is Jesus, is it worth it? Because if I buy into this, I'm going to have to cut off everything else because he won't compete. And he had a lot to lose, hey? Life, could lose his life doing this. His status, all the achievement, all the education he's worked for. If I, but his, his summary was, if I get all of that, if I have all of that, but I don't have Jesus, I've got nothing, nothing. And this was incredibly confronting for him. And I want us to go have a quick look at Philippians chapter 3, where he's, you can feel where he's reasoned all this out logically, and he's just come to this conclusion. So try and digest this as I, as I read this out. Whatever were gains to me, which is all the life, so for you and I, what are, what are the things that you've gained over life? The respect that you have from your friends and family, your possessions and the cars that you drive and the businesses that you own or the deals that you're doing, Whatever gains to me, I consider them loss. And that, that word loss, it just doesn't, it doesn't mean, it means they're working against me. He's saying there's a, there's a binary understanding that has to be here. If you're going to have God in the equation, there is no God plus this, plus this, plus this. It's like, no, there's God, and then there's nothing, and there's everything else, and it's out there. So he's prepared to consider all of those things loss. Because these things are going to stop him from embracing the true of what this is. If I, if I hang on to all of this or any of this, it's going to stop me grabbing all of that. And he'll lose the whole idea of desire and pursuit of that. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth. So he's saying all of this stuff is worth way more of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. Garbage. Hang on, Paul. We invest our whole life in this thing. Eight hours a day, 52 weeks a year. You're calling what I'm working for garbage. Well, yes, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He's pursuing a prize that maybe we don't know about. There's more going on here. Now, I'm not saying that all the things that we do with our life are garbage. Your work is valuable. Your family life is valuable. Of course it's valuable but not if it's valued against, if we're making a bargain, Lord, I can't do this because I'm doing that. Then what's the value? His view was that all of that robbed him of his love for God. Radical, radical view on it. Jesus concurred. He said, you can't, you can't love God and money. You just got to make up what you're going to value. It's going to be there. You've got to use money. You've got to do all this stuff, but you can't value it. If you value that, you can't value God. It's like, that's really confronting, isn't it? That's really black and white. Paul goes on, I want to know Christ. He, this is what his desire was. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, to become like him in his death and somehow attain the resurrection. from the, Strange desires to have, to become like him in his death. So he's talking a whole bundle of stuff there. But if we could sum it up in one word, for me it would be a word wonder. He, he wants to 
pursue with all his desire all this stuff that, that fits into the bucket of a wonder for God. The fact that he raised from the dead, that he empowers my life, that when I die, I live. And desire for God feeds off wonder. There's an otherworldness about life. There's this other thing. It's like this is beyond, this pursuit of God is beyond this life. And this is what was enamoring Paul. So keep in mind, just like you and I, he was discipled into the words of God. So he knew the word of God. He had all that. He'd been living his whole life the works of God. Words, works. So he had all that already. And now that's normally what we call the Christian life. Who's a Christian? Well, they live off the word, the works of God. Some people define discipleship like the words and works of God. Nothing wrong with it. It's just completely inadequate. He was looking at wonder, saying, I'm not, I don't need to lose the words and works. I'll keep doing all that. But, but without wonder, it's not going to get me there. He'd lived a religious life of the words, had all the knowledge, but he was dry. He was killing people. He tried living a life faithfully but gets exhausted from it. And I just wonder sometimes whether this describes my life. Have I lost the wonder? Am I living the words and the works? But am I enamoured in my heart and my soul to pursue the desire towards God? Since he met Jesus, Paul realised there was something worth desiring. And this is really what always gets me too, that the wonders and the words and the works all go together. And so I've seen, just as I saw with that woman who I gave you the story, that faith and humility and surrender and hosting the presence of God, it changes lives in a very real way. She'll never be the same. She'll never be the same. But I, I, this wonder thing just can't be squared away. We can't just say, yeah, I've done that, I've got that. None of us can do that. Paul wouldn't have done that. He said, I'm, I'm still pursuing this. He went on to say, not that I've already obtained it, and if he hadn't obtained it, we can't say we've attained it either. But it's a pursuit. It's a desire. I'm going that way and I'm going nowhere else. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Has he taken hold of your soul? Has he gripped you so that this pursuit, you can't do anything else? This really should challenge all of us in this sort of stoic Western world that we're living in. We have a heart for all sorts of shiny things, but do we have a heart for desiring God? So I'd love us to take this journey together in your way. And um, I'm going to write some emails. I, 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 we do this from time to time, but I'll probably write a Tuesday email that helps our devotional experience just to maybe process this sort of stuff through the week. And I won't be looking at the, the stats on who opens that. I'm not interested in any of that sort of stuff. It's just for those who are hungry, those who want to take this journey with me as we go through this over the next six weeks or so. I just know that when the Pharisees met with the disciples, Peter and John, they brought them in and they're just at these guys. What about this? What about that? How dare you? Stop this. What, are you, what would you know? You're common men. They stood up boldly full of smiles and full of joy and full of faith and boldness. And they just gave a solid case about Jesus from this filled heart that just overflowed. And I just love the summary where these, the, the Pharisees go, well, at the end of the day, they recognise these guys have been with Jesus. That's the difference that changed the Pharisees' mind. So I'm just hoping this week that we start to hit a trajectory shift with that. 
I'm not saying that this church needs it more than any other church. All I know is, if, is there anything that's wildly important right now? Well, this is always wildly important. And so I could give you theology, I could give you exegetical preaching, and we could talk about the Ten Commandments, we could give you incredible principles at the end of the day. And we do that every Sunday night, by the way, for those who are hungry for that. But the, but the stats would say, uh, and the studies are very interesting, would say that if you're a, a Christian more than a little while, um, this setting here ceases to be your chief setting to gain growth in discipleship because you're able to self-learn much faster than we can teach you on a Sunday. And so most of us here are listening to podcasts and reading books and doing stuff. So this setting ceases to become your primary discipleship mode as far as learning. There are, things, there are other things that impact that, spiritual relationships, uh, uh, spiritual practices, scripture, and so on. So what is this setting about? This setting is where we focus on the wildly important things where we do hear what can't be done anywhere else, where we invite God's grace to come in and grow on this synergy of faith, a non-downloadable environment where we experience his grace together. And I've been praying all week that his grace would be working in your heart just today to open up a revelation of who God is, a revelation of his goodness and the fact that we can't do the life he's called us to do without his spirit, without an understanding of the lordship of Christ and the implications of that in our actions, in our holiness, in our habits, in our priorities. If we don't get this right, nothing else is going to really matter much or last very long. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray, just come before you, that you would do what only you can do. You'd work in our hearts. Lord, this desire, this pursuit... Sometimes it grows within a vacuum of our soul as we realise I'm empty without you, that I'm pursuing things that are of no worth. Lord, I pray that you would help us now just empty our hearts of all the things that have filled that space that belong to you. Right now, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just show each one and just be open, each of us, in your own heart right now. Lord, is there something that I've allowed to fill my heart besides you? Just speak to us, Holy Spirit. He doesn't speak to condemn. He speaks to bring us to life. So, Father, we take that thing and we choose to take it out of that space. It doesn't belong. That space in our heart is sanctified. It's made for you. And so, Lord, we push out those things that have competed. Our employment, our career, our houses, our possessions, our comfort, our relationships. None of them are going to work if anything lives in our heart at that space besides you. So, Father, we pray, come and fill that space with a revelation, an understanding of how good you are, how big you are, how powerful you are to change our lives. That single choice won't change everything, but it will set us up to change anything. So Lord, I pray for this journey over the next few weeks. Would you be with us? Will you speak to us through the week that Sunday isn't the end of our Christian experience this week, but just the beginning. Father, fill us with joy. Fill us with longing that we would be aware of the power and the worth of pursuing you. Because on that journey, 
there's transformation, there's healing, there's power, there's joy, there's peace. We choose to pursue you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.